0: Listening to the Agent Survival Guide Podcast, a podcast for today's insurance agents. Informing, educating, empowering, improving the way you do business in an industry that's anything but static. In today's special episode of the ASG podcast, we have an exclusive interview between Jim Handlin, president of Lasso Healthcare, and Craig Ritter, president of Ritter Insurance Marketing. Take it away, guys.
1: Hello, everyone. Uh, this is Craig Ritter. This is a concept I had uh, to get the president and the CEO of Lasso Healthcare together in a room to do a podcast. This is a little bit different. This isn't a Intended to be a a training or certification training or anything in that regard and it's not really uh, Marketing, it's really just a conversation between myself and Jim uh, To talk about the history of lasso how we got started uh, Some of the things we really like about this product and and how we got where we are today and why we got where we are today So I think I'll start off Jim. Why don't you uh, introduce yourself and give a little bit of uh, your background?
2: Hello everyone, I'm Jim Handlin and I am the president of Lasso Healthcare. Uh, Obviously a big fan of the medical savings account concept and uh, we'll get into that in more detail throughout the podcast, but uh, I have a varied background. I was electrical engineer by training, nuclear engineer by trade. I was in the Navy, so I was on a submarine. Got out of the Navy, worked for GE in manufacturing, did Six Sigma kind of things. Ultimately moved out of that, went to business school, and had my first indoctrination into healthcare. I was the first summer intern with United Health Group. Went on to run a couple of their acquisitions, then went to a private fee-for-service startup, which also meant a shutdown of a private fee-for-service company. You learn a lot from that. Um, Went on to a couple other healthcare endeavors. Uh, Worked on a prospective assessment vendor, Matrix Medical Network, so worked with a lot of health plans in that regard. Ultimately went to work for one of those uh, one of my customers, which was Geisinger Health Plan, and they had the MSA uh, product. I was running all of Medicare for Geisinger, but uh, grew the MSA specifically to the largest in the nation, which sounds really, really big, but it was only about uh, 11,000 members in combined Pennsylvania and New Jersey. Ultimately, for reasons we may get into in the podcast, um, but realistically, it just wasn't a good fit for the integrated health system of Geisinger. They went away from the MSA and did away with it at the end of 2015 and had an idea at that time to say, really think this is a good product and it would be a better product on a national basis than just a regional basis. And so Craig and I have been working on that concept ever since. And this is the culmination of it, which we'll talk about more throughout the podcast.
1: So you graduated from working on submarines to uh, <laughs> running a health plan.
2: There's a lot of variety, <laughs> and, little, and that there, you, That hides a lot of sin. So I'm a master of nothing, but boy, I can get into a lot of different areas, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, and a little bit in between, right? Yeah, and definitely. So yeah, my, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, this is Craig. This is Craig Ritter, and uh, I started out in the insurance business uh, in the property and casualty uh, area as a fidelity and surety bond underwriter for USF&G back in there early 90s, and then got a call from my dad, and he was telling me about this uh, agency he had just started, uh, an FMO, first time I ever heard that word. Uh, He was doing Medicare supplement marketing and uh, long-term care, and I told him, well, the thing I like most about Fidelity and Surety Bond Underwriting is working with agents, so it was pretty exciting for me. So that was uh, 1997, you know, fast forward 20 years uh, we bought out his partners and then I actually bought out my dad about uh, two years after that and uh, started out with just me and him and uh, grew to about six people when we did the buyout and today we're floating somewhere around 190 people in eight locations I think, eight offices. So it's been a fun ride kind of along the way. Uh, met Jim when he was, uh, I was uh, uh, did the external broker distribution for Geisinger when they first came out. I think that was know, shortly after PDP came out in 06, so probably like 08, or maybe '08. I think I started. 2008 probably. Yeah. yeah. So pretty early on, uh, Geisinger's Geisinger's uh, integrated health system, um, I should close my, it's an integrated health system that has a, a health plan uh, associated with it. and. I think they had a philosophy of um, putting out every product, <laughs> no, no. Every, no, every product that existed. Well, this is a quick <laughs> aside. Right? <laughs> it's true.
2: This is a quick aside. But everybody asked me the question, so I'll put it out there for everyone. Uh, how did an integrated health system get into a high deductible health plan like an MSA? And Craig hit it on the head that there was, uh, just like anything over time, there's different uh, leadership involved. And one individual at the time really had the concept of, let's try sort of every product within the Medicare spectrum. And so the MSA was one that took hold and uh, kept growing the, they had an
1: I-SNP, a D-SNP, a yeah, C-SNP. All uh, the SNP products. Yeah, they uh,
2: tried MedSup, not really thief, big had, into MedSup. I'm not sure service, about cost plans. But, yeah, uh, they didn't have a cost yeah, plan. That was so,
1: probably the only thing. That's probably do.
2: about it. But realistically, the MSA, oddly enough, took hold and uh, kept going from uh, 2008 uh, through 2015.
1: So, yeah, I guess we, we maybe jumped ahead a little bit, but Jim, talk a little bit about what it was. What an MSA is, let's get down to the basics of, of the product.
2: Okay, so let me, I'll, I'll start and then add to it, Craig. So it's really two products in one, I'll say. So you have two components that you're getting. You're getting a high-deductible health plan from Lasso Healthcare, and you're also getting a medical savings account. That's what MSA stands for, medical savings account. Some people say Medicare savings account, but it's a Medicare medical savings account. And so that literally is a bank account, just like a health savings account. In our case, we're partnering with Optum Bank, and Optum Bank is one of the largest health savings account banks in the nation. This is their first foray into the medical savings account, but realistically, for them, they think it's a natural transition. They're very pro on this, and it fits really well with the concept. There's nothing different from at least the banking components and very minimal differences between a health savings account and a medical savings account. But getting into some of those items, I'll get into what the product does. So high deductible health plan, what does that mean? It means truly all AB Medicare covered services are the member's liability all the way up to the deductible. Uh, Past the deductible, it's Lasso Healthcare's liability. The deductibles range from, we have three different product designs, one per county in the 17 states that we're in. It's our lowest deductible is 6,700 in region one. It's 7,700 in region two and 8,700 in region three. So again, if you're a member, anything that is an AB covered service, even preventive services, are your liability below the deductible and LASSO's liability above the deductible. And it's only AB covered services. Part D cannot be included. And I think the other positive feature to ensure everybody knows is that it's a zero premium product. So that's the start of the product. I think that's the, Maybe some people would look at it as the negative because it's a high deductible by definition. On the positive side, we, through Medicare, fund the MSA account with a deposit on an annual basis at the start of your enrollment period. So if you're enrolled in January 1 during AEP, you get $2,520 into your MSA savings account it is your money to use however you want to use it. We'll get into that in much more detail, but there's, it's about tax liability. So if you use it for anything Medicare A, B covered, you have zero tax liability associated with that. That is your money, no tax liability. If you use it for anything the IRS considers qualified medical expenses, and I can get into some of the IRS publications, but they um, talk about those mostly in IRS publication 502, 502, you actually don't have any tax liability. So it's much more broad than just AB covered services that you can use your deposit for. If you use it outside of that, let's say you actually, it's your money, you use it for buying a big screen TV, you are going to have a ordinary tax income, or it's gonna be taxed as ordinary tax income, and you're also gonna have a penalty. So clearly it is not something that you should be using for that. The other piece is, the other it's $2,520, there's a 6700 or 7700 higher deductible. You wanna save that for preventive and possible future corrective services. You don't wanna be spending on things that you don't need to for more outside of the healthcare realm services. The money is yours to keep. We get the question a lot of, well, if I leave the plan, do I keep the money? If, does it roll over with me or is it use it or lose it? It is your money. Uh, if you leave the plan, it's still your money. If you stay with the plan, we actually put another deposit on an annual basis so we can continue to grow your money. The beauty of this product is that it also has in the MSA account, you have a minimum interest bearing. So we'll say not that interest is high right now, but a let's say a half a point to a point right now for interest bearing. But the nice thing about working with Optum Bank is they have 20 plus different investment vehicles. If you have over $2,000 in your account, you can invest that excess above $2,000 into just think of an equity fund, or just think of your 401k type of thing. You can choose your investment vehicle, and you can go onto OptumBank.com and find out the different returns. And But right now, because the market is doing pretty well, the equity returns out there are like averaging 10% or above. So the beauty is, you can use all of that. And again, if you use even the um, accrued interest and the uh, um, account that you get, whether that's from your returns, or just from the interest-bearing account, all of that, if used on qualified medical expenses, is uh, tax-free. So that's the start of the plan. Yeah, Fill put, in the gaps that I probably missed or need to I go you, more on. You covered it pretty good. <laughs> <big. laughs> There's a lot there. I know. So it's, uh, I, it's
1: dangerous when I put on my uh, my tax advisor hat. <laughs> we don't want to yeah. certainly don't want to do that because we're not we're not tax advisors. But um, the uh, so the. The internal buildup of uh, of the funds inside the MSA account that's that's tax deferred, correct? And as long as you use it for qualified medical expenses, as the IRS defines them, when you withdraw the money, it's tax free. Correct. So kind of similar to a 401k uh, or an IRA account where the buildup is uh, is tax deferred, but of course when you one of the issues a lot of seniors have when they get to older ages they hit uh, um, MRDs minimum required distributions and I don't think there's any MRDs associated with a with an MSA plan so that's that's one advantage And of, of course the other the other thing about uh, a 401k or an IRA is sure you, the money goes in tax-free just like the MSA's money goes in tax-free but when it comes out, it gets taxed right <laughs> or you're required to take it out so yeah, one interesting thing um, you mentioned uh, optum bank right they're the largest hSA yes bank in the country so and uh so what was it like uh, going to optum Bank as lasso healthcare with with uh no membership, right? So, <laughs> and, uh, and getting the largest uh, HSA bank in the country to become our uh, our MSA account holder.
2: Well, I'll go back in the past that I was with United when they bought uh, the precursor of what is Optibank today, Exante Bank. And the reason I have this story is because back in 2000, I'm, I'm not sure about the dates, but 2005 or six, something somewhere around there, they purchased, purchased Definity Health Plan, Exante Bank and very pro on the consumer-driven health. And so their goal was to really get into consumer-driven health, really thought you're gonna see the growth of HSAs. And United wasn't wrong, it was just delayed a little bit. So HSAs, It really started at that time around about maybe a million members that were in HSAs. But over the last, since 2005, to I think the most recent timing that AHIP does uh, every year a survey, and it was 2017 they did a survey, it, uh, it has grown HSA accounts to over 21 million in the US. And so I think the answer is embedded in that growth, which we also see if you have an HSA account balance and you like the HSA concept of more flexibility, sort of your own driving and management, taking your own control of healthcare, you're going to like the MSA concept also. That is really what was enticing to Optum Bank. It is the concept of this is a growth product. Obviously, just they understand that the growth of Medicare itself—ten—that you hear ten thousand uh, Medicare enrollees or agents are occurring every day due to baby boomers. Of course, much of that is going into Medicare Advantage, which is the space that we're operating in. It's a Medicare Advantage product. If I didn't say that, um, and, and so the MSA is a Medicare Advantage product. I think all of those items, just that synergy of HSA. If you like it, you're going to go into an MSA. It is the natural stepping stone. That is really, it's not any magic that I did, clearly the zero membership didn't help, the name of Lasso didn't do anything, and we'll talk more about why Lasso, but it's not a known entity yet from Optum Bank or from anybody in the market. But they really saw the concept of that growth trajectory and this is something missing in the market. Um, Because people do, I think the beauty of the Medicare Advantage, I'm going off on a tangent, but the beauty of Medicare Advantage is every year, you have choice through your annual election period. You can, you're a guarantee issue and you can move to any plan you want. We're not forcing anybody to take this. We want everybody and think this is a great product for a lot of people. But the nice thing is you can choose this if you like it. And I think a lot of people do ultimately test drive, maybe not by their own choice, HSAs through their employers or their spouse's employers. And they ultimately say, I like this concept of healthcare. I like taking a little more control, having the funds at my disposal, using them how I want to use them. That same concept translates over. Optum Bank sees it. We're very pro on it, or we wouldn't have gone that route. Yeah. Um, so that's that's ultimately the long story of Optum yeah, Bank. We have a
1: yeah. We got an HSA here at Ritter a couple of years ago, and it's been a good. Um, I think it's been a great uh, vehicle for for my family and for a lot of the employees as well to be able to. Now, when you're when you're under sixty five, you're allowed to. Contribute up to the maximum and get a tax deduction for the contribution now on the um, The IRS rule is when you turn 65 and you go on Medicare You're not they forbid you from contributing to an HSA even if you're an employee I think there's some legislation floating around to try to change that but that's the law today Um, So as of right now the Medicare beneficiary can't make a contribution to their HSA account, but also the MSA correct Jim They can't Make any of their contributions of their own money into the
2: Yeah so this is a this is a key sticking point that everybody likes the HSA concept of employer supplies funds and the employee can supply funds into an HSA account that is not available via an MSA right now it is only an annual deposit by the MSA plan so Lasso Healthcare into the member's account the member cannot contribute themselves what they can do is obviously do the investment if they had an msa in the past they can move funds over to optum bank so that's viable and realistic when we talked about ten thousand plus members in north urban sorry in pennsylvania and new jersey we're not in new jersey this year but in pennsylvania we are um, in future years there have there is potential of those regulations changing there's been a lot of proposed regulations none that have gotten through for allowing individuals to contribute to their MSA. So right now you're not allowed to, and it's only on an annual basis, that deposit is annually if you keep with the plan, um, but that's only via Lasso Healthcare and not the member themselves. Yeah, so uh,
1: kind of stepping back a few years to, um, to the year that uh, Geisinger exited uh, the Medicare MSA, because they were the, well there was, There was a few companies who tried MSA on a national basis about a decade ago. Um, That was when fee-for-service, I remember that those were the heydays of the private fee-for-service boom, when uh, health plans were getting 117% of Medicare and you could basically (laughs) put almost any plan design out there and make money, it was hard not to make money. which reminds me of with the fee for service, right? I think a lot of people, and we didn't really get into network how you know how people are able to access care. But I think one of the one of the confusions I think a lot of agents have, or what they say when I talk to them, is, "Oh, this works like fee for service did, right?" Because I talked to a lot of agents have been doing this for for years and years, and they remember the the private fee for service days, and it's truly it's not. It's truly a different differentiation for MSA versus private fee for service and. Probably one of the reasons why private fee-for-service, I think, peaked out around four or five million, which was was probably the most one of the most widely successful uh, Medicare Advantage products at that time, um, and then just fell off a cliff. And uh, and yeah, kind of, and I think CMS actually increased the regulation around the network side too, but yeah, talk about yeah. that a little bit, Jim.
2: Yeah, I think, the, I think it's really important, and we'll be stressing this a lot throughout the rest of the podcast and going forward, that we do hear that, oh, the access is like private fee for service. And that's not true at all. What uh, is the reality is, access is exactly original Medicare. So if you are a participating provider in Medicare, and accepting new patients, you must see MSA plan members, not just Lasso Healthcare plan members, but any MSA plan member. Um, Just like Original Medicare, the same thing if you're a non-participating Medicare provider, you can accept, you don't have to accept um, MSA plan members, and if allowed by your state, you can balance bill. But again, going back to, nobody likes to hear that, but if you go back to the Medicare participating providers, that means every hospital in the nation. That means 96% of every uh, physician type in the nation and the few percentage that don't accept it are really usually the dental providers or possibly some of the mental health providers. So you really have broad access. Access is one component. We need to talk about the rates too. I said it mimics or acts exactly like original Medicare and it does this way too. So it's the lesser of either bill charges or 100% fee for service. So you actually are capped in a positive way at Medicare max allowable rates. Uh, again, if you're good, not, it, it's so that's, that's really good. That's a good rate for. <laughs> Basically, it's the best rate in the nation and it's the broadest access you have in the nation. And that is not true at all. You had uh, talked about private fee for service. What people don't realize, because they're few and far between now, 90% of the nation, if you wanted to go out and do a private fee for service, 90% of the counties um, are network access just like every other PPO or HMO product out there. You have minimum required network access. That's not true. That's why we're in 17 states, let's be honest. It wouldn't be easy for a new health plan to jump into 17 states. We're there because We actually utilize original Medicare participating providers for our access. We, as a health plan, can't limit. This is important, too. There's two different pieces. We use original Medicare, and each of the members in Lasso use original Medicare. We're not allowed to limit members other than providing them, and this is actually something we want to do and need to do, provide them good information on costs and or quality. We just talked about the costs. Um, But if there's quality information, and when we go forward with that, uh, we're going to have, and we'll talk more about this uh, in the future, about having partnerships to ensure that we understand all the different providers, why you might make choice A or B on which service you're doing. Once you make your choice of what service you're doing, what's the best provider to go to and why is that? Um, You have the best rates work with the quality, figure out what provider you want to go to, and we can't, nor do we want to limit you in that choice. There's no prior authorization, there's no referral requirements, it is really, you control your own healthcare, and we support that through good information, very broad access obviously through Original Medicare, and information about service choices, what you should do, what you might want to do, and where best to do that.
1: Yeah, I think that's probably one of the fundamental advantages, if you watch the commercials for Medicare supplement on uh, daytime TV. Sometimes I catch them and having the open access, being able to travel anywhere, no referrals uh, required, those are all huge selling points for Medicare supplement. And the fact that MSA follows the same pattern is uh, is a big advantage. Uh, you know, plus I think some of the big components, like I looked at, I certainly looked at startup you know start you know other startups right because I'm a marketing guy and I um, never really wanted to own uh, an insurance company per se I like mar- like marketing <laughs> <laughs> like marketing insurance products and uh, and we'll get let's get in I mean we'll get in that story here in just a second, but um, you know I'm sitting on the sidelines looking at uh, you know hospital systems that have started up from scratch and and even some where you know private investors or um, venture capital gets involved to start up a, just a um, a PPO or an HMO product, and I'm sitting there and I'm a business guy, but I'm I'm sitting there looking at it thinking like, man, that is a tough lift. That is a big lift because if you do a PPO or an HMO, I mean the first thing you have no membership, right? So you start if you're a startup by by definition you have no membership. So you're going to these big hospitals and these provider groups and trying to get uh, a good rate and they're probably laughing you out of the office <laughs> before you start. <laughs> and then if you do get a contract, they're probably raking you over the coals with you know with a, a high, high percentage of, of original Medicare, 110, 115, 120%, I've heard.
2: No, you're like, right. That'd 140%. It's, it's gonna be it right 110 at least or above. To get yeah. Just to
1: get to get there. So you got no membership. You've got lousy contracts. You've got to manage the Part D, which is no easy. So you have to hire a PBM, right? So you have to get all that. You have to have um, a lot of medical management um, involved. Um, You know, these are all, these are all overhead. And then a lot of the plans that started out, they, they want to sell direct because they see the commissions that the agents get paid and they're like, well, we don't want to pay agents commissions. We want to get business directly. So they spend millions of dollars In advertising and uh, they end up with you know 400 members (laughs) they spend two million dollars in advertising to get 400 members and so they have so much uh, administrative overhead I mean I think I've always heard like 20 million you know 20 million is like the the minimum and most plans when they start out they start out in like six counties right they start out in maybe 12 counties so you've got a small service area you're competing against the best of the best health plans in the nation, um, who have scale, who have uh, ability to get better contracts than you can, have more skills on risk adjustment and all those other components. I mean, they have it locked down. They know they know how to do it. So. Um, yeah, so you look at that, you look at that market, I'm like, well, who wants to go there? Who wants to start up a health plan in Medicare Advantage? And you see the hospitals, a lot of hospitals, they come in and they go out, right, Jim? I mean, it's
2: they do. there's a few
1: that are successful, right?
2: Because I think you hit two really good points, and I'll say it in a different manner, which is you're not going to start broad. You're gonna start in a few counties. Right, that, right. But And most where, of those counties are where you're, it's- And it's, maybe you, you own a health plan, right? right so it, if you own a health plan, it, at least you got a, a base and
1: you have a purpose because you're driving membership to that. The, exactly, so, so you
2: have a couple hospitals. Yeah, you actually exactly. have a couple hospitals in a couple counties. You're driving some membership there. But still, all of the big insurers are very, very good at their trade. They have great products out there. And your brand, you might have a couple hospitals that you can actually bring some brand, but every one of those insurers have those same hospitals that you're working with too, because they're the bigger insurers there. So you're working uphill on just spending it, lots of money on marketing your new health plan. And you hear the thumb rule of at least 10,000 members to even get to self-sustaining when it comes to cash flow positive in the Medicare Advantage space. 10,000 members getting it in a small area is not an easy lift because all of the other insurers are working for those same 10,000 members, and you have to spend 4x or 5x the marketing dollars to even get possibly the same member. Any noise at all, right? Exactly. Just to
1: get get someone to notice you. Yeah. You know, one trend. Really tough. We're going to digress a bunch, so we're going to go down a lot of rabbit holes. But I was, uh, I saw... um, a presentation by DEFT research at um, the CVS Health um, down, in, down in D.C. earlier this year. And one of the things that, that kind of jumped out at me is the number of, uh, DEFT looks at like uh, shoppers and switchers. So a shopper is someone who would at least consider, you know, is in the marketplace at least, um, to look at new plan options. And switchers are people who obviously switch, right? They're they're the ones that actually make a decision and change plans. And they look at a lot of the underlying fundamentals of like what makes a shopper and what makes a switcher. But one of the trends I saw, within the last three years, the number of shoppers has dropped from 24% down to 12%. I mean, that is a tough, (laughs) that's a tough headwind. So you figure 88% of Medicare beneficiaries ain't even shopping, (laughs) let alone switching so you're trying to get into this uh you're trying to get into this market so you know i think uh what are we crazy jim or what <laughs> like we <laughs> jumping Whoa. jumping headlong into this uh into this abyss here but um yeah let's back up a step um so three years so three years it's since uh geisinger 2015
2: corrupted. end of 2015 so we're so, uh we're approaching four years of no msa in Pennsylvania Pennsylvania, at least right basically not really big there's Wisconsin is the big bolus right now of uh, MSA that's
1: about it I alluded to earlier that was kind of how Jim we got we got to know each other was when I was when you were working for Geisinger and I was distributing their their MSA product and we really took a liking to that to that product Um, you know I my background originally I mentioned was in was in um, PNC insurance and um, you know, studied a lot about insurance theory and like what insurance is and small claim, high high frequency, low severity, high severity, low frequency type claims and how you want to design a a product with deductibles and things like that. and then I get into I get into health insurance so like none of that matters.'re <laughs> baby we're paying first dollar baby. <laughs> we're, not, we're gonna trade dollars all day long. so. So, I mean, I think just based, uh, that was probably one of the appeals to me, just coming from my background of of having studied insurance and, like, why insurance works and why people buy insurance and, um, you know, all those kinds of factors was, like, this actually looked like insurance to me. Like, nothing else really even resembled insurance. from the from from the perspective of, of having studied like how it started and you know what's uh, what's the whole purpose of risk transfer, <laughs> so uh, and like why an insurance company should get compensated for taking risk like dollar trading doesn't have doesn't really add value from a from a pure insurance perspective so you're really getting paid for doing transactions and not for taking risk but in any case that's a little bit but anyway we're, we're at Geisinger right and uh, Ritter Insurance Marketing was one of the general agencies, or I think we were the first general agency for Geisinger, but we were the, certainly the largest and took a shine to that uh, MSA product. And I think we, we probably represented more than half,
0: or at oh, least I, half.
2: I would say we, we grew in Pennsylvania to a little over 10,000 members, um, a little less than 1,000 members in New Jersey, and Ritter put on 60 to 70% of that. Um, and so Geisinger had it's the help of our agents, right? <laughs> right. So yep. all independent agents, um, but Geisinger had telesales in-house, telesales outside. Uh, obviously, general agencies with Ritter being the biggest one and captive sales force. But still, I think they, the captives
1: it, didn't really pick not, up on the product. They wanted to sell HMOs, right?
2: Right. It just was not the. It, it, I think we see this that it's a niche of not just getting the market and the end consumer interested in the product it's also priming the distribution channels and the independent agents to say they all have very good products to sell which we want we want everybody to look and understand their product choices and pick the right one for that individual at that given time independent agents are the best avenue for that and you all did very very well in learning how to sell the product, understanding the value of the product and figuring the right person for the product. We'll talk a little bit yeah. about there was a maybe some glitches in the product. Yeah, well, that that's, it, a, <laughs> that's right where I'm going, Jim. I, I thought like, it probably was. So why but... aren't
1: you working for Geisinger right now? <laughs> There's Well, there's gonna be
2: a lot of planning, answers but... in that, but uh, I Yeah. Think, yeah.
1: yeah. Um, but, so let's talk about a little bit about, you know, uh, I guess we can get It's it's uh, facts are facts, right? So we yeah. can talk a little bit about because the the design is is what it was. So the initial design was a, a low deposit and a low deductible, right? So it was a fifteen hundred dollar deposit and a three thousand dollar deductible. So the, you know, so who does that going? Who is that going to appeal to? And and I think I'm not sure that we necessarily market it this way, but certainly agents figure it out because I think agents always will always um, find. <laughs> You can't get anything past them, right? They're going to figure out a product. <laughs> They're going to figure out who it works for and, and if it's valuable or not. So you think about that design. It was the different what we call the member responsibility, which there's really not a moop, um, a max out of pocket on a MSA. There's moop a moop equals deductible on it. it yeah. but you're right. There's but not you,
2: really a maximum out of pocket, but it's a it equals th- the deductible. Throw in the
1: throw in the deposit, right? So. So we call we just call it member responsibility, but it's it's probably and not a good technical term. But
2: but just to define for everyone, member responsibility in our words, if we didn't say it well, is deductible minus the deposit. Right. So we have right. a deductible. We subtract. We give you money each year. The delta between those two is your member responsibility. Right.
1: So think about think about the fifteen hundred, three thousand. So fifteen hundred deposit, fifteen hundred dollar member responsibility. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the deductible is three thousand. So we had, and you know, talking about how agents figure stuff out, um, had a lot of had a lot of agents who had met sub members, um, and maybe maybe I don't know if it was before Mutuals Plan N or after Mutuals Plan N Guaranteed Issue, but sometime sometime in the, around the same time, you know, agents started to figure out like, hey, wait a second, I've got this client who's paying twenty five hundred dollars for a Plan F. Um, they can't be underwritten because they have chronic, you know, chronic conditions and so forth that preclude them from, from getting underwritten. Um, I could put them in this MSA plan. Maybe they're treating for cancer. Maybe they're taking Part B cancer drugs that are costing $10,000, $15,000 a month. Uh, put them in the plan. January 1st, you know, they, they uh, get the $10,000 uh, cancer treatment. Uh, they collect a fifteen hundred from Geisinger. They chip in their own fifteen hundred. They pay that to the to the uh, physician or hospital or whoever is administering the, the the Part B drug, and they're done for the for the year, right? Right. They're, you know, from then on out, Geisinger is cutting checks for all those or whoever. I mean, not not picking on Geisinger, but whatever. The hell, let's say the health plan is is cutting those checks for the rest of the year. So I think what we's what 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 you see is you see that there's a relatively smaller population who is attracted to the and one of the philosophies I have is like I always talk about the carrot and the stick like those are the two things that motivate people right so um, you got a, you got a small like I think yeah you, you had a with that design you had a small carrot and a small stick right very almost no stick right so so there's no stick so uh, and there's and the carrots really small so you know you want you got some people who picked it for, and probably most of the people, right? I mean, I, which is amazing to me, picked it for the deposit. So you had
2: um, um, probably, what, 80% or so? Over 80% actually never went through their deposit, never spent more than $1,500 a year, made money if you looked at it that way on an annual basis um, in the MSA design that we're talking about, the $1,500. That... Around the 20%, hovering around the 20%, did exactly what you said. Right, right. Went through the deductible almost knowingly. And it went at way day one. It, went, right? yeah, They knowingly. <laughs> that, and I think the agents. They blew past that deductible. Right. The agents were smart. They found the value for each of their members, doing exactly what they should do, figure out the right product for their members. There were, you could call a loophole or otherwise, it's just the product design. Um, And our new product design I think is different than that. We recognize that was a not sustainable product design. We also recognize the carrot had to be bigger, but by definition therefore the stick also had to be much bigger. And, And so really you just kind of multiply both of those. We supercharged the deposit and moved it from 1500 to 2520 on an annual basis to make it much more palatable for everybody who's interested. At the same time, we also knowingly decided not to be what I'm going to say is the lowest member, no lowest max out of pocket, whatever lowest member responsibility out there, and that was also by design. Um, I think you look at a very small sample, and this isn't just a Geisinger. You look at today's marketplace and the couple MSAs out in the market, and they've also been affected by sort of having that same it appeals to two different sets of membership. You have a bifurcated model that has very healthy, I buy and I use it for preventive services, I stay healthy and I stay under my deposit, and I, in in everybody's mind, make money annually on that one. And the other population who knowingly is going to be over that deductible, and that's their best way, the lowest yeah. cost avenue to get there. I think you're gonna see in the market this year, or at least definitely going forward after we put our product in the market, that that's gonna change. You're gonna see a lot more people follow a strategy that has, and it just makes sense. You need a sustainable product. You don't wanna whiplash people and whiplash them either by changing deposit deductible quite a bit or by just exiting the market like uh, Geisinger had to do. Yeah,
1: so I mean, if I'm the CEO of a health plan and I'm owned by an integrated hospital system and I'm looking at this product that we have, this MSA, and it, the time is losing money, but almost regardless of whether it's making money or losing money, um, well, let's just say it's losing money, right? So we could certainly go and fix it, right? I mean, we could have uh, we could we could switch up the design. I mean, there's only two numbers, right? So it's not like you're uh it's not like calculus. You got the only two things <laughs> that you need right. to do. Everybody her. knew what to do. Right? <laughs> you <right. laughs> Even <laughs> I could figure that out? one out. You know, it's like yeah, uh, yeah I, I don't think you need a, a Ph.D. to figure that one out, but. You know, hey, we could raise the deductible. You know, probably raising the deposit would probably, would probably would have floored people to think that that would be a good strategy. But, you know, we, think, we th- certainly think it is. But in any case, um, so, so, and then, so I've got this, this product, and it's, if I raise the deductible, the people who are ch- going to choose it are not people who are coming to my hospital because they're going to be more or less healthy people, right? So, like, okay, well, the whole point of if you're an integrated health system and you have a health plan... The whole point of having a health plan is to get people in your system. <laughs> That's, there's no other point, <laughs> you know. A lot of times they lose money and they don't care because it's like, well, at least people are showing up at our hospitals and people are showing up at our physicians groups, you know. So so the MSA has no steerage, right? So it's Correct. like, okay, well, it doesn't do what our whole core mission is, which is to get people to our hospital. So it doesn't do that. Um, it's attracting because uh, it's a non-network product, Right. And it's attracting these healthy people who never show up at our hospital anyway. So, like, what the hell are we doing with this product? You know, it's not, it's completely. It doesn't fit. <laughs> it doesn't fit. It's not It's attracting, not valuable it's attracting healthy people who, who aren't, aren't obligated to even come to our system. Like, so, like, what are we doing? And then I think the other thing, like, we talked about earlier when you get into, like, startups and hospitals and stuff like that. Like, the footprint, you know, your footprint is pretty small. And this product is not, you know, it's certainly a niche product. So it's so to get to, I think, to get to critical mass, which I'm amazed at how much membership we got to. I mean, almost eleven thousand or right. eleven thousand members, and and how many? I mean, Pennsylvania was probably the bulk of the membership was probably in twenty or thirty counties. I was gonna say just for everybody. Mass.
2: That 67 counties in Pennsylvania, Geisinger itself had probably 40 counties that they operated in from a network, sort of their main counties. And so I agree, about half half of those 40 counties really made up the majority. So 20 to 30 out of 67. And there were two, to be specific. In New Jersey, there were just two counties, that's it. So you're talking really 25 counties that made up 11,000 members. Right, Um, right.
1: So that's like 400, and these are not. This is not Philadelphia, and this is not no, Pittsburgh. It, exactly, these this are rural counties.
2: These are central Pennsylvania, not right. uh, not on the fringes. Right. So these are small
1: counties, and you you averaged 400, 400 members per county with that with that design, with a small with a small deposit. Um, so yeah, it kind of gets to the to the point of like, why would a uh, why does this product not out there? I mean, that was that's always one of the questions I asked. Like when I'm when I'm thinking about doing something and nobody else is doing it, um, like why is nobody else doing this? You know, it's, it's a it's a big question, and that's one that I wrestled with. And I think Jim, we probably had hours of conversations about why why isn't someone else doing this? Um, the last time it was done was and, and getting back to like ten years ago, the last time so. So, you have small, small hospital systems, small footprint, it's a niche product, it's not going to get critical mass, it's not going to work, it's not, not network, it's attracting healthy people, it's got, so from an integrated health system perspective, this is the, probably the worst product you could pick, <laughs> to, Okay. so they're not one, so they're not going to do it, right, and that's probably, a lot of the health plans are, are based around the integrated health systems, what about um, an insurance company? You yeah, know, so for the National, big, why wouldn't yeah. they take
2: it? So, yeah,
1: and they did. I mean, back in... Uh, so back in 2008 was the last time that a, that a national insurance company, so it was, a, it was over a decade ago, the uh, last time a national insurance company brought out
2: MSA. I think Coventry and... Precursor of Anthem and precursor of, I'll say Etna, which was, was Coventry. Coventry had uh, <laughs> Both had. Both had them out. They, they've they had them out, and when in multi-states, I'm going to say, one did like a 15-state, one did a 20-plus state, lasted one or two years each, gained um, small membership, but still the 100, maybe uh, 100 members per uh, per county kind of, th- I'm sorry, per state um, perspective. So a couple thousand members each, and then ultimately decided uh, this wasn't where they wanted to go.
1: And realistically- Do you remember the plan design? I remember the plan design. Do I don't know. I don't, yeah, I don't yeah, remember yeah. it. So I think that was think it similar to three. Geisinger. Yeah, so uh yeah, well, it was worse. It was worse than Geisinger. Um it was like a $1200 deposit and I think that the the, the, the deductibles were tiered. They're so kind of like we did multiple tiers, but I think the smallest was like 35 or 4000. So so again, the the carrot was carrots not you, you there couldn't you couldn't really you couldn't really fill up on the carrot too much because it was 1200 bucks so and then I think the other thing too when at the, and it could have been a timing thing I mean obviously HSA has exploded right, right. over the last 12 years so yep. we're talking about you know 11 years ago um, so you went from like 1 million that you said 21 million 21 million in yeah in the last Twelve years or so, or
2: it was 2005, one million to 2017, so twelve yeah, years, 12 years. 12, 13 years. You'd say, I mean, just honestly, the the stair step is just amazing. It's a it's a straight line up. Hey, so, I mean, um,
1: they they were out when HSA really wasn't. I mean, it was just starting that growth curve, correct. right? And they had uh, a very small deposit on the on the plan. Then the other thing they had was they had this thing called private fee for service, right? Which was sitting in every county. They had an MSA. They had a a private fee for service, and this was when you know Medicare was paying 117 percent reimbursement to the health plan, so you had a zero, you'd have a zero premium, five dollar PCP copay, you know thirty two hundred dollar moop, you know maybe a hundred and hundred fifty dollar a day in the hospital for four days, you know that kind of a plan design on a private fee for service, and. Agents, I think the first year Coventry came out with that, they wrote about 190,000 members. So, (laughs) so you got this. Like, why am I going to sell? Why am I going to sell my client an MSA plan when the upside is 1,200 bucks? When I can sell, and then they also would come out with like high premiums. Like, oh, and included D too, right? So, and MSA doesn't include D. So you could sell true zero premium private fee-for-service with prescription drugs, with Phenomenal benefits, right? And and at the time, I think the access wasn't as well understood that there was a distinction between fee for service and MSA. So that was when fee for service exploded. So again, like agents are smart, and you know, you look at those two products side by side. I would not pick up an MSA. I would, you know, it could have been right for some people, but I mean, it was probably such a small fraction. When like here's a zero premium product that includes D with great benefits with low max out of pocket. If you're not healthy, I can put you in a high base premium plan. There was like plans that had zero PCP, zero specialist, like $50 a day in the hospital. They cost 85 bucks to 100 bucks a month on in premium, included your Part D. Um, the the uh, max out of pockets were like $2,500 to $3,000. So, I mean, they had, they had all the bases covered in 2008. They wrote one hundred and ninety thousand policyholders, too, so you so know it clearly works yeah
2: right yeah. so <laughs> and and I think that's an example of the market not ready and other products and not worth the marketing spend to truly have try to market an inferior product that you already have good products out there that you're bringing membership in. I think the next question that we've struggled with to say is Well, okay, we understand the realities of why not then or why not continue then, but why not today? So the market has shifted a little bit, but why not today? Why not a big insurance company go forth with this one today? And what we come up with is it's a very valuable product, but if you already have quite good coordinated care products, meaning PPOs and HMOs in the market, why would you want to shoot yourself in the foot And truly provide a product that, instead of basically having very good gross margins, you're giving twenty five hundred and twenty dollars of that gross margin for every member that you have, and giving that away. Truly, (laughs) you know by definition that somebody who self selects. (laughs) No, but you're right. But by definition, a rational buyer is not going to buy this if they think they're going to spend more than twenty five hundred and twenty dollars. It's for catastrophic insurance with the belief that you're going to make money on an annual basis. And realistically, that's true. Brand new members or pretty healthy members, people in control of their disease states, are gonna be spending less than $500. Insurance companies know this, so why cannibalize their own healthy membership and move them to a product where they actually are giving everybody a set deposit that right. is going to be by definition more than what they would spend otherwise? It yeah. just doesn't make sense. I it mean, has to be somebody outside of normal health plans. So are we going to go into coordinated care plans? Probably not immediately because yeah, uh, we're not going to cannibalize our not. primary I mean, product.
1: Yeah. I mean and you think about you think about the the value of that deposit that deposit has so much value um, cuz you're paying that dollar to everybody right Correct. every single person it, is getting it's that huge. dollar right so so you're paying out $2520 to every single member the, the the deductible I mean one thing it's that's, in, that's interesting is like the do- deductible doesn't really matter if you don't spend the deposit right i mean you Correct. could have a whether it's a sixty-seven hundred or a sixty-seven thousand dollar deductible, it doesn't really matter if you're not going to if you're not going to spend the money. Obviously, you know it makes a difference if you if you if you get over your deposit. Um, but only about one in six people is that are going to go through the.
2: Well, here here's the the math that is not well known for everybody when it comes to Medicare enrollees and. What is going to drive you over your deductible? Of course, it's going to be something like an inpatient stay. That That is number definitely one, going right? to do That's it. number one reason. If, unfortunately, you have to do cancer treatments, whether inpatient stay or you actually have Part B drugs, whatever it turns out to be, that clearly is going to do it too. And so when it really comes down to it, let's talk about some inpatient numbers. If you have even chronic conditions but a low number of chronic conditions a one chronic condition that you're generally in control with your likelihood just whether voluntary or otherwise to go inpatient on an annual basis is one in 20 less than five oh, percent of yeah, yeah so less than five percent right. on a uh, annual basis that you go inpatient on
1: and that's and, ages 60 I think 65 to 74 I was, was going to say 60 I, the
2: ten year exactly the first the ten years less. basically yeah' four
1: yeah. percent. One or more. I mean, more than one doesn't really matter, right? Because if you have one, right, you're going through the deductible. If you have ten, it doesn't really matter because you're you're already through your deductible.
2: So, and that's the beauty of the product. Realistically, what you have is somebody who believes, even if I have multiple chronic conditions, but generally in control, I'm seeing my doctor, my specialist, taking the right maintenance meds for my conditions i don't bounce in and out of the emergency department i haven't been inpatient for a long time this is still a good product and the reason why is for that very reason that you know because you actually have to keep pretty good control of your health and know your health spend and what you do you're not likely to go inpatient and if you do you have catastrophic coverage if the first inpatient visit you have everything else a b is covered by lasso that's a pretty good plan for a broad spectrum of people to say, this is not, we hear this a lot, oh, this is just for the healthy and wealthy. Realistically, we all we want everybody to have a plan for that member responsibility. So if you have a large money in your HSA account or you just have a large bank account, then of course that could work well if you're in control. But if you don't, it still comes down to this could be a good product for you just have a good plan. And I'm not sure if you wanted to go there now or not, but talking about a plan, I think this is important Mm -hmm. that a lot of products, especially when you started with first dollar coverage, there wasn't a lot of thinking involved, realistically. I mean, it was sort of easy thinking. You can kind of pay a premium. Pay your
1: plan F premium and... And
2: We understand there's value in that. People like that, that's very secure. In this product, it's not the same thing. We really want everybody to very much focus on that plan between the deposit and the deductible. Because you're buying this because you think you're gonna make money, but if you don't, you better have a plan to be able to pay for that gap. And yeah. so, we talked well, about thing, a couple. Let me, we'll let go me just yeah,
1: tag on to something you said earlier and then, we'll, and then we'll delve into that a little bit. But So we talked about the probability that someone aged 65 to 74 with zero to one chronic conditions. Lands inpatient one or more times and it's four percent right um, the other thing I looked at was people that had two to three conditions um, so two to three conditions uh, I think it was like sixteen percent in that same age band so about one in less than one in six are going to be inpatient one or more times um, so so even that even that odd i mean the the odds on this product I think you could look at it. Um, if you looked at it simplistically, if you win one year, if you, if you win one year and you lose one year, you're probably about where you are on a med sub premium. You know that's about the math of it. I mean it's rough math, but I mean and there's different regions and so forth. But but more or less, if you if you have a, the best year and you have the worst year, whether you spend zero or you spend you know a quarter of a million dollars in in year two, it basically works out somewhere around a med sub premium.
2: What I look at it as so that's,
1: that's a fifty fifty. I mean, it, if you're inpatient like you know every other year, it's still not a bad product, which is amazing to me.
2: You're right though, because I honestly think that is one of the strategies when you talk about a plan. One of the strategies is the duration in the product. Of course, we at Lasso would want you to stay as long as possible and keep you healthy, and the incentives are aligned in that regard. But even if you do one out of two times pick this and you're wrong and you go inpatient, there's still value there. And one easy way to look at it is every year, I'll say generalized, but if you just had a plan F, first dollar coverage, let's we'll say $2,500 that you pay out annually in premiums, we go, it's a zero premium product, where there's zero premium that you have to pay into Lasso for the MSA, we give you $2,520 annually. So if you just took five or six years there, you're talking about twelve dollars to $15,000 swing on that we give you from a lasso perspective or you have to pay in premiums yeah, um, like from 20, a plan F. 25 so you got, grand, right, so you got five 25 years. to 30 grand right. of a swing depending on where you go. That's the value that you have in mm-hmm. this product. Same access, same flexibility with choosing any Part D that you have, mm-hmm. it really is quite valuable. And in fact, it's a guarantee issue every year. So more flexibility in that regard. Um, you can use yeah. the- you Well, can, I
1: think, yeah. you know, because agents, Agents probably aren't exposed to you know what how much how much Medicare beneficiaries are spending because I mean if you sell Plan F
2: you don't have to be you don't really
1: yeah you know, right there's really no there's really no evaluation there right there's really no now you know if you get into some certainly you get into some Medicare Advantage products you probably start talking or maybe if you sell Plan N. Is a great example, or a high deductible F is another great example that you would want to have a conversation with your member, but if you're selling a G, or a, a G or an F, there's really no need to get into, it's like, is it affordable? It's the best coverage in the world. You can see any doctor, you can go anywhere in the country, no referrals, uh, no networks. Is this, if the premium's affordable, yeah, you know, it's a, it's a pretty easy, it's a pretty easy sale and you don't have to get into whether the person's uh, a low, high or low utilizer because right. it don't matter right. <laughs> they're all spending the same dollar
2: <clears throat> right and we understand there's comfort in that there's easy value in that but there's also value that can be mined from this product if you're willing to think a little bit more about the risk return um, well, you know, equation you think that,
1: so um, yeah so we're, we're uh, so I was thinking a little bit of, I was thinking a little bit about a, you know what average costs are too with with um, based on and, and CMS puts out this data. This data is on the on the CMS website, so it's not like we're making this up. But. Right?
2: No, it, it will. Uh, we can <laughs> we can back up what we're saying. Um, but realistically, if you think of, if you see your doctor on an annual basis, you see your specialist on an annual basis, you do labs on an annual basis. So basically, you're doing all the things that you should do on an annual basis. Right there. I just even if you saw them on a quarterly basis. All of those services, you saw your specialist, your doctor, um, let's say you do labs once a year, you're still spending less than $1,000 right there. So a a normal office visit is less than $100, a specialist visit is, let's say, $200 at most, and labs are $50. And these are all 100% fee-for-service, again, all data that we can show and want to provide everybody. But realistically, to actually spend $2,520 it's a pretty yes. bad year. It, it is <laughs> a bad just, year. I mean, you if you, you were truly going voluntary inpatient to get your hips replaced or something like that, of course, Boom. you're going to be gonna spending that yeah. type of money. But if you were truly doing preventive type services that is not going to get you inpatient or Part B drug spend or Even something like that. if you're treating
1: for two or three chronic conditions, you're no, still not. Yeah. I, I mean, unless you had an episode, right? Unless you were out of control and you're, di- so you're diabetic, you have high blood pressure and you have high cholesterol and... And you you had a you know you weren't controlling your so your diabetes and you you know you in that case you're going to spend but if you have those conditions and you're controlling all three conditions you you're not spending twenty five hundred bucks
2: no and I think the beauty of this product is almost every Medicare Advantage plan has twenty percent uh, co insurance on diabetic supplies yeah and realistically anyway. we have twenty five hundred and twenty dollars that you can use for all of those diabetic supplies um, all qualified medical expenses. And so, no, you, you really do have to work pretty hard. As long as you don't hit that, I'm going inpatient and/or B drugs you, or. And when you cancer. look at
1: when you look at where Medicare spends the money, and you look at you look at claims data, and so you you kind of plot like um, the number, you know, the total spending, um, like on the y-axis, and uh, and how much that individual, you know, how many individuals make up that spending on the on the x-axis. So that curve. It starts out really flat, you know, kind of as you, because you have how many percent? Ten or fifteen percent of people spend zero. Right. Right. It it is fifteen percent that fifteen percent of the population spends zero. (laughs) So that's fifteen percent of the population. Then you move up to fifty percent of the population. So half of Medicare beneficiaries, how much do you think they spend? Of well, Jim, you know, they spend seven percent of Medicare. Right. So that curve—I mean, you think about that curve—it is like it is like on the zero line for 15%. By the time you get to 50, it's up to 7%, and then it just goes parabolic, right? At the at the high on the high utilizer side. So 93%. So half of the population spends 7 The other half spends 93. 93. 21. What? How many times? 21 times? Is that right? Yeah. No, no, not that many times. What's uh? So I'm going to do my math, 14 times, 14 Thir- X. 13 times, 13x. 13 yeah. X. yeah. So, so 13 times. So you always hear like, oh, the average Medicare beneficiary spends $10,000, which is true. But averages are weird, right? You know, averages are pretty strange. If you think about like what's the median spend, it's a heck of a lot less than $10,000. i will tell you that because you have one person spend a quarter of a million dollars. You need a lot of people spending zero to get to, to, get to $10,000, right? You need... 25 people to spend zero.
2: This is where I honestly think this, it would be very good to have much more transparency on data because we had to search hard to find some of these things which is people consume averages and averages can tell an interesting story sometimes but it glosses over because they're yeah. averages and others. What we're saying is there's just a huge skew. That it's is not a normal distribution. Not right? nearly. It's totally it, not normal. There like- is a few people who of course spend a whole lot of money and then most people don't the most people buy a meds up
1: right right honestly <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> that's
2: a uh, since we don't have one yes they should buy a meds up and yes, probably I, a plan no, f is good I, and stay in it
1: i, mean, I think uh, the agent's right the agent's job is to find the right product for everybody exactly. not necessarily i mean it just it's the right product so i can i guess i can say that
2: and i think what we're saying <laughs> though is for the rest of the population that isn't completely skewed which is a huge number even just the 50 percent number comes down to there's going to be spend and there's some years that you're going to have risk and you're going to go inpatient or you have things that uh, you weren't planning for you slip and fall one thing Uh, we don't want
1: to tell the story that you know well everybody every every member is is it gonna, not going to go through the deductible because that's no, that's just wrong. That's right? not insurance. The whole yeah. point
2: of insurance is to be able to aggregate, protect, and we don't think it's going to happen. We as think, in me,
1: each member, each year. I but mean, we're thinking like one out of seven, one out of eight, one out of six, somewhere in that neighborhood. They're going to they're going to spend through their deductible, and they're going to need to have a plan in place to be able to cover their member responsibility piece of it. Yeah. But you know, for the other seven out of eight or five out of six. They're either gonna, they're not gonna get through their deductible. They're not gonna get through their deposit. Probably most of them, but the rest are gonna fall somewhere in between. So we talked about the the four percent right of of folks with zero to one chronic conditions. Another statistic that is an average, which again averages. I think I think people glom onto averages and they think that's the that's the typical case, but it's probably the rare case. If you look at zero to one. Um, chronic conditions, a Medicare beneficiary from age 65, that's not on Medicaid, um, that's um, 65 plus, which is 65 to 105, whatever, you know, like no
2: limit.
1: So we're not talking about the 65 to 74 group anymore. We're talking about 80, 90 year olds and 65 year olds. They spend on average $1,700 on average so annually annually right that's their average spend again it's a hyperbolic distribution (laughs) it's not a normal distribution you know it's not like you've got you know one person spending zero dollars and one person spending thirty four hundred dollars and then it averages seventeen hundred because there's people in there that are going to spend fifty thousand sixty thousand dollars right i mean that that have zero to one right like you said slip and fall it could be you know or They get diagnosed with cancer you know who knows and they might spend fifty thousand dollars so you take one person in that group that's averaging 1600 that spends fifty thousand dollars how many people have to spend zero to balance that out it's a huge number right right so when you talk about the the media or was it the mode or the median right mode is the most but median Trying to remember my statistics classes, but but average median is, actually is the middle of
2: the true distribution. You line right. all all the spend up. It's either the middle one or it's the average of the two if it's an even. So the and
1: thing. the other thing I think agents sometimes think is well, if the average if the average person spends sixteen hundred dollars, then the average person is going to say is going to have nine hundred dollars. Well, if it's twenty five hundred dollars deposit, the average person is going to have nine hundred dollars in their bank account, right? Wrong, <laughs> totally wrong, <laughs> because a huge—I uh, mean, not a huge portion, but some portion of that sixteen hundred is going to fall above the deductible, right? So you think about that—that that person that spends fifty thousand dollars, they don't spend fifty; they don't—they're not out of pocket fifty thousand. They're out of pocket, say, sixty-two hundred, right? So a lot of that spending is borne by the insurance company. So the average um, MSA spend. member is gonna keep a heck of a lot more than 900 bucks, right? Correct. Because a lot of it happens above the deductible where the insurance company's paying the bill.
2: I think a good way to look at it, because you're right on that one, to say on average, and I get it, it's the data everybody has and it's how people um, portray it, but realistically, go a different route. If you wanna sell this product, we know the carrot is $2,520. Spend, we want you to spend money on preventive services. A lot, $1,000 for spend and figure out how you're gonna spend that a thousand dollars it's still i go back to it's hard to rack up voluntary smart preventive spends in that amount of money Uh, and so what i'm saying basically is you keep fifteen hundred dollars for your own insurance rainy day nest egg fund in the future if you do have higher spend needs you actually plan and it might not be a thousand cuz I think it could be hard getting that much but plan for spending a thousand or less and this is a good time to talk about one of the things that we saw with past MSAs is that even with the $1500 deposit is people would get the money and then do two things we talked about the the model of everybody who went over the deductible of course spent more than and the others spent way less than in fact didn't spend any we want people to spend some money on preventive services. In fact, it's self-serving. If you stay healthy, you're gonna stay with the plan. You can move if you want to, and if your health conditions change drastically and you're not in control, you don't want to probably stay with an MSA. So it makes sense to stay with this plan. And one way to do that, one way to do that is to ensure that you do the preventive services on an annual basis. We actually have a company that we're working with called Guidance Health. And we are doing a health incentive program. So each year, every year, we are, in addition to the deposit, giving each member a Visa gift card if they do three things. For each of these three things, we give them a gift card. A health survey, voluntary health survey, they get a $50 gift card once they complete it. Then work with any doctor of their choice who accepts Medicare, go do an annual wellness visit, they get $100. Um, And then do labs, coordinate with that doctor, do labs, get a full panel of labs, and build a care plan with your doctor. They get $75 for working through those labs and the care plan with their doctor. You do all of those things on an annual basis. One, you still have to pay for it out of pocket because we're not allowed to pay for anything under the deductible, but we give you Visa gift cards, that $225 total that I just added up there, the $50, $75, and $100 for the survey, the labs, and the office visit, all ultimately are going to pay for and actually exceed the cost of the services that you did and it makes sense so realistically try to spend a thousand dollars I still think you're going to be spending way less than that on an annual basis
1: and Jim one more thing I think um, you know we talked about well, we keep talking about people with zero to one and that's not the whole focus zero to one chronic conditions but I think a lot of one thing I didn't mention earlier we talked about the average spending but like, how many people is this, right? You know, like, if I'm an agent and uh, I'm like, well, if it only applies to one out of a uh, hundred of my clients, like, it's not worth uh, it's not, the juice isn't worth the squeeze, right? So how big of a market are we talking about? Um, and, and it's, I was pretty shocked because you think, you know, hey, these are seniors and they've got, you know, a lot of them have chronic conditions, of course, but 35% of the population has zero to one. And then when you get to two and three, I think you're, you're well over 50. You, so, yeah, I mean, so you're, you're not, one out of three homes that you walk in as an agent, the likelihood is they have zero to one right there. So, and they're gonna, on average, they're gonna spend 1,700 bucks.
2: And I was gonna say, the other- I, I, And the average isn't
1: the, isn't the- The average the medium, is not,
2: exactly. Right? So it's, it's not realistic to say who is going to make money, if you will, in this product. The other thing is the stat that you said, 7% of the Medicare population, or over 65 population, spends, uh, sorry, 50% spend 7% of the total populate or total uh, Medicare spend. So what you really have there is, you have a flip of the coin, one in two members are ripe for oh, this right. product.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, what I, how I describe it is I say 50% Of the population is gonna make money on this product we just don't know which 50% correct exactly now you know conditions are (laughs) a very good indicator right it's not like you're shooting in the dark (laughs) it's not like you're you know throwing darts at a board and saying you know it's gonna be random because the statistics on who's spending the money is very very highly correlated to how many chronic conditions they have so people with six plus chronic conditions are spending the majority of of the money so I think the agent certainly has some has some guidance in that direction to know to know that the odds are stacked in their favor tremendously.
2: And I think an important question, because you really do want to plan, and there's no one who knows their health status better than the individual who truly is taking risk alongside LASSO in this product, but there's a reward. And so it really comes down to the easy questions of, One chronic conditions, but two. How are you at managing those chronic conditions? Right, right. So it really controlled. Yeah, it it really comes um, down to how engaged
1: are you in your health too?
2: Right. Yeah. So are you going to see your specialist and doctor on a regular basis? Are you taking the maintenance meds? Not just yes, you have prescriptions for the maintenance meds, but are you taking the maintenance meds that you should? And the real answer to some of those questions come down to. Are you going, are you bouncing in and out of emergency department visits or inpatient? If the answer is that you've had significant numbers of those in the last, let's say five years, then this is, you might not be as in control as you should be with your health and you know that that past indicator might not be indicative of the future but it still could come up mm-hmm. and but if realistically you have a couple chronic conditions you manage them well and in the last 5 plus years you haven't had any uh, acute exacerbation that resulted in anything material like an inpatient visit this can be a really good product for you yeah i mean
1: i think you know defining who's a customer right who who's right. going to buy and i think the fallacy always was that it's a, the triathlete billionaire. <laughs> that's the guy. Who's gonna
2: <laughs> like the that's our only population. That's our Yeah.
1: So <laughs> go out there, go out there, and find all those. You know, there's like uh, one of them in the country, but truly, it's um, an individual who's managing their, who's actively engaged in their health, who's you know managing their health well. They can have a number of chronic conditions as long as they're well maintained. I think. Um, like you said, doesn't have a history of bouncing in and out. I mean, it, it would be it would be silly to to take this product if if you were there's a high probability that you're going to hit the deductible. Um, and somebody who has a plan for the 6200 or 4200, whatever the number is, they have a plan. So, you know, one thing we talked about a lot was people with HSAs, right? If you got right. if you got four or five, six grand in your HSA. You don't really have a good landing spot right now, right? Because it, because this product doesn't exist except for two states, Wisconsin and New York. Right. And really, Wisconsin is the only one with a viable, really viable product. So, you know, if you're if you happen to be lucky enough to live in Wisconsin, you could you could choose this plan. But uh, but now, adding 17 states, um, and, that, and of course Wisconsin not being one of them, so there would be I guess 18 states where. This will be, be a viable alternative for folks who have an HSA, maybe have a balance in their HSA. I mean, if you have an HSA when you retire, um, you can't contribute to it, um, you can't spend it on your Part B premiums, you can't spend it on your Part D premiums, you can't spend it on your med sub premium, uh, you can't spend it on really any insurance premiums except for tax-qualified long-term care, so it's somewhat hard to spend it. I mean, if you have a med sub, you're not, you know, yeah, you your have, you, you, I mean, you might it. have to spend two dollars on a generic right so you get to use the two dollars on the generic every month but but other than that there's not a whole lot of ways to spend it so i mean this is like the perfect vehicle for someone who has an hsa balance that's not you know not 50 bucks or you know 100
2: bucks you know a few thousand bucks i think so and one thing that craig said in the past to me um we we call this a niche product and it is because right now it's just it's going to take a while for broad appeal but we're I think highlighting the fact that it is a niche product that has the chance to have broad appeal. An example goes back to, we talked about 25 counties in central Pennsylvania that had 10,000 members in the MSA account before. 8,000 of them made money on a 1,500 product design, a yeah. deposit. They would make more money on a $2,520 design. And
1: I That's, think, Jim, that was something that you and I were pretty passionate about, right? Because... I think, you know, the alternative for, for a lot of folks is a METSUP or a, or, a, or an HMO or a PPO. Right? That's those are great great alternatives. But if you're going to if you're going to incentivize somebody who is taking good care of themselves, who's in control, who has a plan, who has some, some assets, and has a plan to cover the the, uh, the uh, member responsibility, the sixty two hundred. Or whatever whatever the number is um, you need to incentivize them right right <laughs> if you give them 1200 bucks it's like you know hey eh, you know eh? is it worth the lift you know you have to make it so so I think in my mind we wanted to make that we were focused on that deductible we put as much as we possibly could in that deductible to give people the maximum incentive in the deposit. to yeah. make, oh, I'm sorry in the yep. deposit not in the deductible but in the deposit to try to make the maximum incentive so when you're talking about, like you talked about, you know, $2,500 med-sup premium and a $2,500 deposit, that's $5,000 a year tax-free. Uh, if you have a husband and wife, it's $10,000 a year tax-free that they're saving. I mean, if you pay a med-sup premium, that's after-tax dollars. You're not paying right. pre-tax dollars. <laughs> you can't deduct your med-sup premium from your taxes. So, you know, you have the tax compile i got putting my tax advisor hat on. I should take that off. But... Um, yeah, but you know, you have to you have to uh, pay taxes on the money in order to pay for your Med up premium. So, from a from a realistic perspective, you know, that's a lot. That's a big swing when you're talking about a husband and wife saving ten thousand dollars a year tax free. That's enough incentive, I think, for people to to take a serious look at it, right?
2: I think so, and I think the stress, uh, the thing that we want to stress is that it might not be for everyone, but don't. Pigeonhole it just because you're like it's only for that healthy and wealthy, the billionaire triathlete who eats carrots and drinks water. That's not life. That's not reality. We think this has a broader, much broader appeal, and really it comes down to that plan between the deposit to. Deductible. Let's get into
1: that a little bit, Jim. Well, I mean, some other product, like so, so you know, putting together a financial plan. What could that, what could that mean to cover the member responsibility? So there's, there's other products that you can. Sell so alongside, right? On the scope of appointment form, we have a checkbox for hospital indemnity. We have a check checkbox for dental vision hearing. So on our on our scope of appointment, we have other, there's other products that CMS will allow you to sell side by side with. A, now there's certain products you can't, right? And we can get into that too. But let's talk about some of the things that you can cross sell with an MSA that maybe helps protect your client from that catastrophic year when they, you know slip on the ice or what have you
2: i'm in good control i have a chronic condition or two but i manage it we've talked about that i'm interested in this product i don't have an hsa account i don't have a lot i'm spending close to sort of week by week month to month i don't have a lot of a buffer from a bank account so what do i do one of those things is i'm enticed about the breadth and flexibility of this product. I like the fact that I get $2,520 to spend on my healthcare as I see fit, but I am concerned of even if I'm in good control, what if, what if something happens? Even if I just slip on the ice in January, right after I choose this product, I don't have a lot of money to control that member responsibility everybody talks about. That's exactly where an accident plan possibly, but really it goes back to Maybe it's that hospital indemnity plan, a cancer, heart attack, stroke type of plan, good compliments around what you can do. Because again, we've said this multiple times, what really will get you to that member responsibility? If it's not voluntary services that you want to go change out a hip or change out whatever it turns out to be, it really comes down to you're going inpatient. So a hospital indemnity plan is a really great possibility. An accident plan could follow that same steps. I'm not sure how widely available from an age perspective that actually goes, but it might be right for some. Definitely a cancer stroke, um, heart attack type of policy. And then smart plans that we also talked about, a part D just makes sense. You need some sort of credible uh, pharmacy benefit. And so a D plan that is tailored to that member, is flexible for that member, just not packaged within the MAPD um, plan makes a lot of sense. A vision dental plan always makes sense. Those are great opportunities of really good planning, coordination, good counsel from an agent and a prospect sitting down together talking about how best to do this. I think the other piece is on an annual basis. I know there's always a checkup on an annual basis. This product definitely more than a lot really require that when you're on a plan f and you're probably not going to change you might not have to do as much thinking about it annually this is a product that you really want to ensure that you're adjusting not just the main product whether that's the lasso healthcare msa but all the complements that associate and figure out how best to go forward and control for your plan that risk reward i think
1: yeah and when you think about risk too jim i i think it i think duration is a huge component of risk right some people think about you know risk is being binary, but it's not. It's It has to yep. do with investment. So if I'm a day trader, right, the best example I can come up with is, if I'm a day trader in the stock market, pretty pretty risky, I better know what the heck I'm doing. <laughs> you know, and you can, in the transaction fees and all that stuff, and the amount of time and effort it takes to be a day trader, you know, there's probably plenty of people that went bankrupt doing day trading. But if you invest your money in the stock market, basically it's the same risk, right? You're taking the same risk, you're putting your money in the stock market and you're taking it out, but you do over a 10-year time horizon, right? So the duration kind of normalizes normalizes the risk, it balances out. So if you take a long-term view, I think, of the MSA, just like you would take a long-term view of the stock market or a prudent person would think about the stock market at least in a 10-year time horizon, it does mitigate a lot of the risk. If you have a plan like a, like a hospital indemnity product or a, a critical illness, you know, cancer product or something like that, that can that can certainly uh, mitigate the risk as well. Um, now think about you know for the agent right so you could sell you could sell uh, you know $150 uh, plan F or plan G um, and a PDP right so that would be one option but if you took some of the money if you sold the MSA you sell you get the initial commission on that you sell the PDP to some I'm, t- I'm turning 65 you get the initial commission on that and you take some of the money. You don't have to take all the money that they would spend on a med sup, but even if you took some of it, you know, fifty, seventy-five, a hundred dollars a month. Maybe put fifty into a hospital indemnity plan, put twenty-five or thirty bucks into a dental plan. I mean, now you've got now you've got four four products minimum, you know. So you know the commission on this would be well in excess. I think of well probably around a thousand dollars per member. So you go into a husband and wife, and you walk out. You do a great job for them. You sell them an MSA, a PDP, a dental plan, and a, and a maybe a fifty, sixty dollar a month hospital indemnity plan. You're walking out with two thousand dollars in commission,
2: and it's good value. And You're doing a great everyone. job. I mean, it, it's not. It's, it's, not, it's not all about. Val-
1: I'm not, and I don't want to focus on the commission aspect of it, but I mean, there has to but, be incentives for the. There has to be incentives for the member, right? The member has to be incentivized to want to do this and there has to be incentives. I mean, if, we, if if there was no commission in it, let's be realistic, agents wouldn't, wouldn't want to do it. But, you know, there's there's way more commission with this, putting a nice package together for your member um, than there would be. And, you know, think about the, when I think about the hospital indemnity, I think, well, year one, right? So year one, that might be something that you want almost all your people to have, right? Because you're afraid that if, if they have a bad experience in the very first year, then you're going to be a little bit red faced, right? So maybe you would really push the hospital indemnity in year one, but maybe year two or year three, you you know you're gonna you should revisit your clients and see if it is first of all is the MSA still appropriate for you, based on your health? Because, you know, one thing when you think about the stock market too, you know, prudent people make adjustments over time too, right? So you you know you can think about the MSA in a long duration. But if there's some major change in your in your circumstances, you'd be crazy not to make a change, right? So you so the agent has to do that. But maybe year two or year three, maybe they drop the hospital indemnity plan because they've built up enough in their MSA account that they're not you know that they're not at risk. And maybe if someone went through their deductible in year three, you know you're not going to be as red faced because they they went three years and they spent zero you know on their. <clears throat> Excuse they already me. had the money or right. they had the Cause protection. because it, it, it rolls over, them. it accumulates right. over, you know, maybe they spent $1,000 a year, they spend $1,000 on, uh, on the uh, hospital indemnity plan, so they build up, you know, five or $6,000 in their MSA account, and then they can drop the hospital indemnity. So it doesn't have to be a forever thing, right? Maybe year one, you say, hey, we, I want to get you through maybe year one and year two, So we're gonna maybe stack some insurances to get you through that. And God forbid something happens, you have that insurance, you would be glad you had it. But you you don't have to keep it forever either. You can adjust over time.
2: And I think to add to that, which is saying that I agree wholeheartedly the durational effect is really important. What you really are doing is you're planning your health and financial, they're tied. And so when you actually say, I have a goal, to take my example, spend at most a thousand years a, a year, um, and I have a plan for how to spend that. so I'm actually spending on the right preventive services. I save let's say 1500, a year. and in three years I'm gonna have enough if I wanted to no longer go with a hospital indemnity plan or adjust whatever it turns out to be. I'm comfortable because I have that financial flexibility to do that because I planned for it. Um, and so I think that makes a lot of sense. One of the things that I did want to obviously we're saying all of these insurance insurances are really good complements to the MSA and they're allowed by law to actually complement the MSA. What you're not allowed to do is have an insurance that comes in and covers from a health expense perspective under the deductible services. So, a most obvious example is if you're on a group health plan Um, from your spouse. You can't just say, you know what, I have a high deductible health plan, I'll take the $2,520 and anything under my deductible I'll have covered through my spouse's group health plan. That's of course not allowable. Same type of concept with VA benefits. If you're VA eligible, that's one thing, but if you actually have a VA card, you have uh, enrolled in VA benefits, then you're not allowed to actually have the MSA. Medicaid, if you're Medicaid eligible, you aren't allowed to have the MSA. So the whole concept and well, those I, are the
1: big maybe the big but thing, those are right? the big ones. I mean, realistically, veterans' benefits, receiving veterans' benefits actually right? an like ID card. card
2: receiving veterans' benefits can enroll Medicaid Medicaid can enroll and if you have group and group health plan you can enroll. You can't. I and and so I do get the question and it's an interesting one. Well, what if I'm disabled? Can I enroll in the MSA? You're not excluded from the MSA, and so if you meet all the other requirements, you can enroll in the MSA there is history but again we use averages and averages are not a true test of each individual a disabled individual many times as a population has a pretty high spend so you have to look at each individual but the answer is yes if it makes sense for that individual and you're disabled but meet all the other conditions you are allowed to enroll in the them just like
1: any any medicare advantage end-stage renal correct can't do it if they're on medicaid you know if they're dual eligible can't not allowed to enroll let's get into let's get into enrollment periods a little bit jim because sure the msa is quite a bit different than other medicare advantage plans i mean it's similar but but it there's ha- significant differences that agents need to know about
2: yeah and so there's the nice thing but it's also a bad piece there's only two times that you can enroll in an msa product aep and icep so basically your initial election period you're allowed to enroll in the msa and then each year at AEP you're allowed to enroll in the MSA. OEP is not an option to go in or out of the MSA. And there's rationales behind that from a Medicare perspective and from a Lasso protection perspective. We each give each member the deposit that we talked about. So you enroll in um AEP and on January one, twenty nineteen, I put twenty or two thousand five hundred and twenty dollars into your account. Yeah,
1: that's one thing we didn't mention. It's a lump sum. It is on a lump day sum one. day one. Right, right. So
2: it is a lump sum day one into your account at the before or at the first uh um, enrollment period. So before January 1, you're going to get $2,520. Then at OEP, if it was allowed, you're like, you know, I'm going to switch, but I'll <laughs> keep that $2,520. Right. CMS, and we understand that the pay and chase is not easy to do, So and it's not going to be allowed. So realistically, the goes-ins are limited and the goes-outs are limited. So only two times, every AEP, and obviously initially at your election period, you can choose. Now to go out, of course, you can go out during AEP. Yeah, AEP um, for sure. And then there's a special election period. There's only a couple of them that you're allowed to go out. If you leave the permanent area where an MSA is offered, it's in 17 states and 1,151 counties. But if you leave that permanent area, um, you have to. You you're allowed to choose another product, and you can leave the MSA. If there's a five star plan in your area. You can take a five star SEP election. So even if you stay in in the area and there's a five star, other than that, it's not impossible, but it is a lot harder I to mean, move, move out. Move out
1: of the country for a hundred and eighty. The,
2: so. so there there are if you disqual if you disqualify yourself intentionally or otherwise, as in let's say you signed up for VA benefits in the midst of having this. Or you qualify for
1: Medicaid,
2: Or qualify for Medicaid. So if you do actually have exclusionary items, that would involuntarily terminate you from the MSA. But realistically, from a voluntary basis, it becomes a permanent move, a five-star SEP if available for you, or every AEP, everybody has the. Let's, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, and just to understand, I said it before, but it's important, if you leave the plan at AEP, you spend a whole year, you leave the plan, that money is yours. It is yours to keep. If you stay with the plan, the money is still yours, it rolls over, and we deposit another annual deposit at the beginning of the period. It's not on a monthly basis, you get it immediately. So the start of every enrollment period, so each calendar year or whenever you first enroll, you get that deposit in a lump sum. So, um, so an individual, joins
1: the joins the MSA plan and they um and they move outside the plan service area say mid year then they would owe half of the deposit back correct because they didn't they weren't in for the full year okay so how the I say it's technically I say it's
2: your money and now let's uh let's talk about the the, the clawbacks right um so am I saying that it's not your money no realistically you have to the whole point is The current year, you have to spend the full year in the plan or there's a prorated amount that you owe back. And so let's take the, you leave the service area, leave the plan for any reason on July 1, just easy math. So it's half a year. Uh, You owe only the current portion of the deposit. So if you've been in the plan two and a half years and you leave on a July 1, you only leave that current year deposit. Half of that is required to go back. Um, to Lasso, and we owe that back to Medicare. So if you're no longer with the plan, we're not giving you that whole year's basis, that's the point. But again, if you spend an entire year there, it is your money. So it comes back to, I spend a year, I spend another half of year, so I get another year deposit put in. Unintentionally, I leave, just happens to be for whatever reason, but I leave the service area, I move, and I I owe half of that current year deposit back the not, other not, year is fully earned right fully, fully earned, earned exactly year. everything fully earned once you're in a full
1: calendar So let's year. talk about Medigap protections right because it's some because it's interesting um the it's interesting because I think I think agents have to be very thoughtful about how the guaranteed issues for Medigap work in concert with the MSA right because If someone joins a Medicare Advantage plan at age 65, the way the protection for Medigap is that you have up to 12 months that you can get any plan with any company, right? The issue is with the MSA, which is different than than other Medicare Advantage, that with another Medicare Advantage plan, you have the trial right disenrollment from the Medicare Advantage plan. You don't have the disenrollment with the MSA. So the only time you can get out is during the annual enrollment period. So it doesn't really affect anything year one for our agents. Like it's not, it's it's really a second AEP decision. But say if someone joined the plan in June, right, someone joined the MSA in June, in order for them to exercise the Medigap protection, they have to disenroll from the MSA during the annual enrollment period because uh, they can't get once once the calendar once we flip to 2020 so we're talking you know we're talking net not not this AEP but next AEP say they joined in June of 2019 just for example new yeah. to medicare and then something happens their health change and they want to get a medigap plan or the whatever for whatever reason they don't like they don't like having to manage their the, the money or whatever um, so they have to make that decision during the annual enrollment period.
2: Here's a, here's an interesting, unfortunately negative on that, but it's good to bring up. What you're talking about in Medicare Advantage language is called a SEP 65, um, a special election period c- right. 65, Out. that you can, if you come into a Medicare Advantage at 65, you can, within a year, um, opt back to original Medicare and you have a guarantee issue to a Medicare supplement product. Mm-hmm that is not available for an msa that sep 65 is not available so take the example that you just gave there is a better way i want clearly a sales agent would be better than me to say this but if you had somebody coming in turning 65 at 2019 let's say mid-year 2019 and they might want to test run the msa the best answer for that is put them in a medicare supplement using their guarantee issue immediately with a medicare supplement at aep for 2020 fall of 2019 put them into an msa the one year the initial trial right is still available Mm -hmm. so now we fast forward if everybody's keeping with the story so Mm -hmm. i i came into a med sup let's say i just went into a plan f it was still available at the time i come into a plan f then I take at AEP. Um, I take the MSA. I take that for a test drive. I take it for a year and say it's interesting. I liked it. I made a little bit of money, but ultimately I'm more comfortable with the Medicare supplement product. At AEP, you still you have to go a full year. You can exit only at AEP, in or out only at AEP, but you do get that guarantee issue back into a med sup. Right, you have 12 months. You do it. First time, first time, yeah. Exactly, for the very first time, for that trial rate. So what I'm saying is you have no SEP 65 protection if you very age into a MSA, but you do if you actually go into a med sup first, then try, your first time into a Medicare Advantage plan is an MSA, right. you can go, go back after so the Medigap.
1: So the Medigap protections apply identical it, to an MSA. The problem with the MSA is you don't have the SEP 65. Correct, you to, said it right to, on. To, to jump out. Because, I mean, clearly what you could do, and it, you know if you, were, if you were interested in gaming the system, is you could, uh, you could join the, the MSA product uh, during the annual enrollment period, get your $2,500, on January fifteenth, you could take your SEP sixty five, buy a Medigap plan, and then we'd have to chase you for right <laughs> for the two twenty five hundred bucks.
2: That's exactly the and same, that's, same that's concept. That's what CMS that's, that's is trying to avoid. Yes.
1: Is, uh, is to keep you in the plan. So uh, so let's talk. We talked about who doesn't qualify. Let's talk about people who, who age in the Medicare during the year. I mean, we were talking about it, but what, let's talk about what happens to the deposit and the deductible, because it's prorated. You don't get the full twenty five twenty if you join mid year.
2: Okay. Right? So I'm gonna start with, again, we talked about the money comes at the beginning of your enrollment period. The full deposit comes at the beginning of your enrollment period. So the full deposit, by definition, if I come in at AEP, January 1 through December 31 is the year. Um, we actually deposit the full amount at that beginning of the year. The deductible is the full amount, the sixty seven, seventy seven, or 8,700, depending on which county you're in. If you actually come in in ICEP, then it's prorated and it's required by law to be prorated from a deposit perspective it's prorated, of course, on the number of months left that you have in the year. So if you have six months left in the year, you come in July 1, then you have half of the deposit that you're given at that time immediately. If you have three months left, you come in, then you have three months of the deposit. It happens to be twenty five twenty, not easy to roll off the tongue, is divisible by 12, $210 a month. So the answer is, if you're half a year, it's 1260. If you're three months left, you have 630 bucks that you actually get all at one lump sum at the beginning of your enrollment. The deductible also <coughs> varies depending in that similar manner and it goes down by the number of months that you have left. And so, really, what it works and it varies the same way that $210 a month will vary the deductible. So, what it turns out to be, no matter what time of the year you come in, the first of the year, so January 1 or December 1st it becomes the member responsibility that's always constant. And we wanted to do that from a, that's consistent with basically the way maximum out of pockets, other Medicare Advantage plans work. So whenever you come in, your deposit deductible changes, but that member responsibility is staying the same each part of the year.
1: So you take, basically you take the the whatever, if it's the 8700 you take the 210 for the number of months that you're not in the plan, you subtract two, 210 from the deductible and the deposit, subtract 210 for every month you're not in the plan.
2: Correct. And that's the math, right?
1: Yep. We have a chart for it. Yeah,
2: but- I was gonna say, it's a, it's online. Um, it'll be available for all the agents. We have a chart for it. Obviously, it's only applicable for anybody coming in ICEP, but it's important to understand. So we're get, coming up on two hours, so
1: I think uh, we probably
2: have uh, two more hours to talk about. <laughs> I think not, we have a lot of segments going today. forward, but hopefully yes, maybe we, not today. We didn't skip
1: too much stuff, but if agents are interested in, in uh, representing LASSO, it's, uh, you would go to our website, uh, www.lassohealthcare.com, and we
2: have an agent section, so you can request information there. Um, Info, can I, well, you can uh, you can email us at, uh, it, it, that's also on the website, so you can go to lassohealthcare.com, but to info at lassohealthcare.com, you can actually uh, request some information and we will get you, the appointment process is uh, very similar to all, but uh, we can quickly get you appointed with all the states that you want to uh, go in by uh, October 15th. We'll have uh, paper enrollment,
1: but we also have electronic enrollment, so we can... Uh... So agents will be able to use our electronic enrollment platform? Correct. For, it, for this AEP. Um I'm trying to think what else. Yeah, certainly certification, we require AHIP, obviously you have to be licensed in the states. We we didn't we have 17 states, we didn't list out the states, but we can get that to you if you, if you need it. Uh, licensed in the state, we appoint you in the state, you have to do AHIP, um, and you have to do our product certification.
2: Correct, and and I think the other important piece is probably consistent, but from a resident state fees, we pay, Lasso pays, all other states that you want to appoint it in since we're in multi-state, uh, it will be up to each agent to pay for those appointments. Uh, we provide a nice, tented presentation for everybody along with uh, an enrollment kit, so five applications. That's applications both of... Lasso Healthcare and also Optum Bank. We have reorder, some benefits. Reorder on
1: right, right from our website.
2: You can request a reorder. Exactly. So reorder is available. We hope you quickly blow through the uh, five applications or, or use the do online. it online. Better That's yet. even better. <laughs> so instead of having to reorder, just use one online. Thing, one thing but, we didn't
1: mention about this is yep. that one of the, I think one of the keys is uh, is keeping the overhead low, right? I Correct. Because we put everything into the everything into the deposit that we possibly could. So, I mean, to in order to maintain this type of plan, uh, we had to be, not only did we have to have great vendors, and I think we have like Optum Bank, and we have Visient, and we have great partners that are working with us, but we had to get them at great rates too. We <laughs> because, do, and yeah. keep,
2: we have to. We have a very lean administrative structure, a variable cost administrative structure, even as much as you can in the early zero revenue days. Right. Um, but uh, all of that, we wanna keep that going through, because the value is we're sharing, this is truly a value-sharing product with right. each member, the and more, the, the more the value more, we have, the, the more we share. Yeah, the
1: less you spend on the CEO salary and uh, and uh, supply orders, the the more you have for the members. So, Jim, this has been a lot of fun. I mean, I want to say thanks to all the agents that have stuck through and listened to us. So, if you're still, <laughs> if you're still, if you're still listening, uh, you know, a, a special thank you to you. And Jim, thanks for uh, taking the time. This was really enjoyable for me. I had a good time, good conversation, kind of reminiscent. Of what we've talked about for three years you know yes. some people think it's just like you know oh yeah you you start what well, you started working on this uh you know in january or something now this has been three years in, in the making and a, and a lot of work and a lot of thought went into it and appreciate everything you've done jim it's been a pleasure working with you and i'm excited about uh, getting into our first annual enrollment period here in the next month
2: well, I am too. I want to thank you all. I hope uh, if anybody can slog it through this couple hours, we have other installments going forward. And I will say that three years, I've learned three things. Patience, perseverance, and don't run out of cash. So if you're going to do anything entrepreneurial, um, those three things are good to know. So I look forward to everybody enjoying that. The uh, this the sales agents, and then consumer ultimately enjoying the product that we're putting out this year. We look forward to it. Thank you. Thanks, Jim.
0: Wow. So much great information in that conversation between Craig and Jim. If you would like more information on selling MSAs, we have the link to a few articles in our show notes. If you're ready to get started with Lasso Healthcare, we have the link to the official site as well as the link to our sales team there. You can use either of those links to get the information on how to certify and get that process going with Lasso Healthcare. Thank you so much for tuning in to the special installment of the Agent Survival Guide podcast. We will see you next episode.